Second time guest, it's a really good Sunday to be at because it will show you exactly what we're all about, what makes up our DNA, the, the core of the things, the, the reason why behind the what in the Rock Church. We want to give you a, a glimpse of why we do the things that we do. And we're going to be going over our mission statement. And uh, before we begin, I want to ask you this simple question, this simple question. And this is not like the big idea, it's just a question to get going, is what do you have to do tomorrow? Not a whole lot, sounds like. But how many of you guys are already thinking about things you have to do this week, right? I know the Powell family is graduation, right? Any of you guys back there? Are you guys just thinking about kind of reeling over what's going through the week? You got your work schedules, you got kids to drop off, you got all these different things, shopping, doing laundry, whatever. Or in my case, you might have to go to the third realm of hell, which is called Walmart, um, and do some shopping. I do not like Walmart. If you work at Walmart, I love you, but man, just open more check registers, please. That's good. Uh, but but uh, we, we all have things to do. We're humans of plans. We we're creatures of, of wanting to do things, having to do things, uh, trying to live as much life as we can. In fact, C.S. Lewis, a great author, said this one time. He says, each morning when you wake up, all your wishes and all your hopes, all your wishes and all your hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. Can anyone testify to that? Like, yeah. Sound, sound, sounds, sounds right. Or at least for me, it's not maybe like wishes and hopes. It's kind of like, oh man, the kids woke up, right? That, that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. We want them to wake up, but it's like, oh, they're up at 530 in the morning. I can't sleep in or, oh, I got to mow the lawn again. Oh, it's raining again. So now I can't do this or God forbid it might snow again. I don't know. But it's just things that every day, it seems like all the things just rush at you at once. It's more of a long list of have-tos, I have to do this. I have to do that. And when we tackle that long list of have-tos, and when we do that every single day of every single week, it is so easy to get stuck in a rut and just keep going and telling ourselves, we just need to get through today. We just need to get through today. We just need to get through today. I have a little story, and I want you to, I want you to ask yourselves if this sounds a little familiar. This is, this is just something I made up. This is not an actual conversation that I've had. Um, but if this sounds familiar to you or sounds like a friend that you have, maybe, maybe this is your life. You, you have to get up at the same old time, shut off the same old alarm clock. You have to walk in the same old bathroom, look at the same old face in the same old mirror, get in the same old shower, dry off with the same old towel, and put on the same old clothes. Sound familiar, right? A little bit. You have to walk down the same old kitchen, get out the same old bowl, eat the same old cereal, drink the same old coffee, read the same old paper or same old Facebook, kiss, the, kiss goodbye the same old wife. That's not to say mean, but you know, it just it can get redundant sometimes. And then you have to drive to the same, in the same old car, down the same old road, to the same old job, for the same old work, laugh at the same old jokes, that's the same old boss that tells you in the same old way. Still tracking, right? I got more to go. Hang on. You clock out the same old time. You have to get back in the same old car, drive down the same old road to pull in the same old garage. You hug the same old kids, walk in the same old kitchen, same old dinner. Finally, you walk in the same old family room and sit down in the same old recliner. Now, I like my same old recliner. My recliner, there's, I like my recliner. Fall in the same old chair, have to get up, crawl in the same old bed, ask the wife the same old question, get the same old answer. Thank you, guys, sinners over here. Same old alarm clock goes off and it all starts again. Same old, same old, same old, same old, same old. And I think we have to ask ourselves, especially as Christians, I'll get to the spiritual side of this, but we have to ask ourselves, does this sound like my life? 
Does this sound like my friend's life? Sometimes we're scared to answer that question, aren't we? Because we read that story. I mean, you guys are getting bored the second sentence I was getting into it. You're like, that sounds like a horrible life. But did you know there are people that wake up every single day doing that same old routine? Every single day. Too many people do this, and way too many people think this is what life looks like. They think this is what life looks like. And I want to let you know that this is not how God intended you to live. He didn't intend your life to look what I just read. He doesn't want you to be in the same old, same old, same old, same old. He doesn't want that. In fact, it says that his mercies are new every morning. Amen? God gives us new miracles, new blessings. He says when you come into a relationship with me that you are not old, you're not the same old, but rather you're a new creation. Come on, church. God is always about the new. He does a new creation. If, he, if He's not the same old God. Yes, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But the work that he wants to do in you and through you is new. Is new. Don't get stuck in the same old. I believe every single day. We've only got one shot in this life. We've, we've only got one shot at this deal. We, we don't get a second chance most of the times. We don't get a redo button. We have to make sure every single day that we take it with pursuit and passion. And I, I know because I can't see in some people's eyes that, Vaughn, you're just a go-getter, aren't you? You're just yada, yada, yada. No, 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 no. okay? I'm, I've got a lot of energy, but I also know I don't want to stand before God. And he says, what did you do with your life? And I give him that routine. But I think a lot of times we do that. Just got to get through today. Just got to get through this week. Just got to, let, 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 me, let me spin it this way. Jesus, when he was enduring the cross, he never said, I just got to get through this. I just got to get through today. I'll be standing at, from my disciples, and I'll be going up to heaven in a fiery blaze, and it'll be all good. No. He endured it, and he did it the best that he can. And I would propose to you, church, I would propose this argument. I think we're supposed to take each day as best as we can as best as we can. Jesus not only took on each day with passion and purpose, but he seized every moment, and that is why God sent Jesus, because there are things that Jesus has to do. There are things that Jesus has to do. We did it in Scripture. Scripture tells us that before we were formed in our mother's womb, I talked about this with Cain, before we were formed in our mother's womb, Jesus destined things for us to do. He made plans and purposes for us to fulfill. And so that tells me not only did Jesus have to do things, but there's things in, some things in this life that we have to do. So I kind of want to bring this into context. Is If you go to John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. To see exactly what Jesus had to do and see what exactly what we have to do. And there's a story that I want to look at. It's a, it's a beautiful story that illustrates a plan and purpose and exactly what we have to do. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. And there's a few things I want to highlight in this. John chapter 4, 1 through 4, it says this. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making baptizing, was, was, sorry, was making and baptizing more disciples than John, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he, next one, next one, one more. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, that sounds so weird because I'm not going to break this down and say this had is, I'm going to blow your mind with what this word actually means. It, it, that word had is the same thing that we use had for. But the attitude behind it is different than what we use it. 
we use, oh, I have to do this as a negative thing. And we almost kind of say, I have to take out the trash, right? We don't look forward to taking out the trash. We have to take out the trash. It's not good. However, how many of you guys had seen something? In my case, uh, one of my friends uh, came from Disney World, and I've always, I'm a Disney fan, and I've always wanted to go to Disney World. And every time someone comes back, I tell myself, I have to go to Disney World. Have you guys kind of used it in a like, I have to go to Hawaii. I have to do this. I have to visit this place. I just have to. And that word have to or even had to is more of an excitement. And this is the connotation in when it says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. There, there's something there for him, and he's excited about it. That, that's the word had, and I really encourage you to circle that. It's a small little three-letter word. I want you to circle it because you will never read had the same way again. He had to go through Samaria. So he goes there, and there's a little quick context. How many of you guys have heard the, the Samaritans and the Jews and the kind of their beef with one another? Right? They kind of, kind of, are you, guys, you guys tracking with me? I want to make sure I'm, I'm going. So th- I'm kind of explaining exactly what, what, what's going on there. You see, the Jews did not necessarily like the Samaritans. The Jews had a huge beef with Samaria because the Samaritans were an ethnic group that is half Jewish and half Gentile. Gentile is just a fancy word that says that you're not a full Jew. You're kind of just mixed or you're outside of the Jewish ethnic group. Because these Samaritans were not fully Jew, this also means the Jews in the New Testament did not want anything to do with the Samaritans. Nothing with the Samaritans. In fact, some Pharisees actually prayed that there would be no Samaritans that would go to heaven. I mean, how much do you have to hate someone to pray to God that they don't go to heaven? That's a huge hate thing, right? And so this is kind of their beef. And so the Jews didn't go to Samaria, and Samaria didn't go into any Jewish town. And because of this hate, when the Jews had to travel towards Samaria, instead of going through that region, they instead had their own Jewish route, which I find totally hilarious in this, their own Jewish route along the coast or cut across the Jordan, but whatever they had to do so they wouldn't step foot in the region of Samaria. They did not like them. So Jesus knowing fully well of the beef between Jews and Samaritans, he discerns for himself that he had to pass through it. He had to pass through it. And you know, church, this is exactly the reason why he had to go through Samaria. The first point in your notes is this. Jesus had a mission. Jesus had a mission. Jesus had to go through Samaria. There wasn't an option. There wasn't another choice. There wasn't no ifs, ands, or buts. He had to go through Samaria because God the Father had a mission for Jesus to do. And I love this because this speaks volumes about Jesus. And church, I I want you to really tune into here because this is a huge concept that we can learn a lot for, especially as a church. The concept is this. Jesus, having to go through Samaria, says this about him. Jesus does not care about how bad the place may be. He does not care about how bad the people may seem. He does not care about what other people think. He does not care about reputation, about pedigree, whether you're, where you were born, how bad you may think you are. Jesus will always put that aside to pursue you. He will always put that aside to pursue after you, and to pursue after those who do not know him. And I think this story illustrates that so well, because according to all norms and customs of the Jewish faces, you do not mess with those people. You stay away from them. They are less than. You don't even go near them. In fact, if you touch them, you may be even deemed unclean, and we're going to reject you. But Jesus says, who cares? I have to go 
to Samaria. I have to go through Samaria. And it doesn't just stop there because the rest of us that, that have a relationship with Jesus, Jesus sets an example for us to follow. He sets an example for us to follow. Not only did Jesus have a mission, this is the second point, we have a mission. We have a mission to do. We have a mission to fulfill. Christians, please get this. Our job is to go follow the Great Commission. You guys remember the Great Commission, Matthew? Go out and make disciples of all nations, of all people. All. That Jesus did on his way to Samaria, that we should copy that. We are to not care about how bad the place may be. We are to not care about how bad other people may seem or other people may dislike them. We are not to care about reputation, about pedigree, whether you live on the north side of the track or south side of the track, whether you're in the bar last night or you're on your knees praying last night. It does not matter as long as Jesus and you are coming together. He will run after those people. And I want to make sure I really hit this because I, I don't want us to have this split like the Jews and the Samaritans did. I want us to be like Jesus. And that we would lay all that beef aside and would say we'd have to go to those places. We have to go to those places Put all that inside in order to point those people to Jesus. Amen? A amen, church? Come on. We got, this, is, this is one thing that we have to agree about. We cannot move forward. This is one thing we have to agree about. We have a mission to do. And I want to lay that out in just in three ways. And I, I believe our mission can be summed up in three simple words. And I encourage you not to fill out ahead of the teaching because I want you to really grasp of what our mission is. And really, this mission is my heart for this church. This is not just something someone gave me. This is something that I believe that Jesus has called our church to fulfill. And the first part of our mission is to pursue. To pursue. I'm going to catch up with Jesus. He entered Samaria. He knows that he's there for a purpose. And so he goes to where this where the setup meeting is about to happen. And it's at a place called the local watering well. The local watering well. And he finds the well and sits down and just waits for this person. And it's about six o'clock in the evening and a, a woman comes up to the well. And Jesus knows that this is the person that he's supposed to talk to. This is the reason why he had to come through Samaria. And this is the person that this is the, really the essence of what is about to take place. So she approaches the well and Jesus begins to pursue. Check out what he does. John 4, chapter 7. Stick with me. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Next verse. For his disciples had gone away from the city to buy some food. They got hungry, so they left. How many of you guys like ditch friends and go get some food, right? Happens all the time. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is that you, a Jew? Remember the Jews and the Samaritans had that beef. She knows what that is. How is that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me? A woman of Samaria. Not only because in this custom is you don't have rabbis talking to women, but you don't, definitely don't have rabbis talking to Samaritan women. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This is all in the pursuit. Living water. The woman said to him, sir... 
You have nothing to draw water with. She's not quite getting what Jesus is talking about yet. She, she still thinks he's talking about water. She says, hey, you don't have a pitcher or a thing. You're not going to get any water. What are you talking about? And the well is super deep. Where do you get this living water? Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And he gave us the well and drank it from himself and as did his sons and his livestock. So Jesus is pursuing, let me explain this a bit. Jesus is pursuing this conversation and he's speaking at her level. He's not speaking with some holy Hebrew jargon, which I think we can say we Christianese. We pursue people, I'm going to explain this later, don't just speak all Christianese stuff that it, it freaks them out, really. It's just, you get them lost. It's weird. And so he, he's not speaking, but simply tells her that she has no idea who he is. You have no idea who I am. And because of who Jesus is, he had something to offer. He has something to offer, and he can tell her how to receive it. Keep in mind, Jesus is not giving a sales pitch here. But what he is doing is speaking with intent. When you pursue, you speak with intent. You speak with intent. Watch what he says, verse 13. He says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. The water that I will give him will, come, will become in him like a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Church, this whole conversation, this whole conversation that so many pastors and we can all pick apart and get some really great concepts, this whole conversation started about water. Water. It's a conversation. And it started as something, as something, as a small water, but now the discussion has led to, it's talking about living water that Jesus had, that this woman, that Jesus, uh, going through, uh, who's this, not even caring about any of the norms around him, said that he should stay far away from her, but he still decides to go to pursue after this woman. Because he had something to give. Let me, a little side note here. We have something to give, church. We have something to give to those people who don't know Jesus. We have something to give, just as Jesus has something to give. And I'm going to tie this all in at the end, but I want to give all the context here. So our mission is to pursue. The second one is influence. The mission is to pursue, but also influence. The conversation has to be set, and because this Jesus is willing to go against all the customs and actually talk with the Samaritan woman, the conversation has led to a pivotal moment right here in the woman's life where Jesus isn't talking about water anymore. He's going to take the conversation to her spiritual life. Check out what he says, John 4, verse 16. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband, and tell him to come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have five husbands. Five husbands. The one now you have is not even your husband. What you have said is true. So at this point, two things should have happened. Or I guess one thing should happen at this point. The woman revealed her ugly sins to Jesus. She revealed her ugly sins to Jesus. Sins that she is still living in. Notice that Jesus did not pursue after a perfect woman. She was still sin. She was covered in it. She was living in it. Because this is nothing. He isn't worried about that. Yes, he died for us to be free from our sins. But when we have that conversation, when we go pursue an influence, it doesn't matter. He's running after her heart. So the woman, knowing that Jesus totally called her out, 
she gets a little smart and tries to stir the conversation away. Look what she says. She says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. You called me out of my sins. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Pretty much saying, enough about me, Jesus. Let's talk about something else. Let, 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 let's not talk about my sins. But Jesus is not having this idea with her, that this counted. He sticks with his mission. He said, goes on verse 21. He says, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You guys can study that later. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for the salvation is from the Jews, meaning that it all came from the Jewish people. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. For those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. I know that he's coming. When he comes, he'll tell us all of these things. And Jesus said to her, the most pivotal thing in her life that he could ever say is this, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. And Jesus tells the woman, he says, the guy that you are talking about, the God that you're telling me that your, your people worship on the mountain, that's actually me. The Messiah that you guys are waiting for, I am the Messiah. And this is huge because the entire conversation, church, has led to this point at this well in this place called Samaria. The point that this woman is either going to accept that Jesus is the Messiah, thus professing her faith in him, or she's going to think that he's absolutely nuts. And church, that's going to happen to us. When you go out and you have that thing to offer and you go out to the people and you go to that place, those are the two things that, that's going to happen. Either say, yeah, I want more. What are you talking about? Saying, no, I don't want nothing to do with it. In fact, Jesus said that to the disciples. says, if you go into town and do the things and they reject you, he says, you know, just go out, dust your feet off and just go. Go to the next town. Go to the next town. Why? Because they have a mission to do. Church, that very same mission is the same mission that we have. And when we read this story, we know that she accepts the fact that Jesus is Messiah, that this water that he has been talking about is much more than just physical water to nourish the body, but spiritual water that he's offering that nourishes her spirit. So I want to carry on just for one more because I really want to tie this at the end here. I want to turn this table of this entire story. There's so much different sermons you can pull out of this, but the thing, I just want to talk about the, the, the actions that Jesus did and turn the tables from the story to us. Because not only did Jesus have a mission, we have a mission. The Rock Church has a mission, and that last part is multiply. Pursue, influence, multiply. And I know, I know if you're wondering, I, you know, we get the first two, but the last one, multiply, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Let me, let me talk to you, because it's much more than just numbers. It's much more than trying to grow the church. Multiply, multiplication is much more than that. You see, this woman has caught the bug. You guys know what I'm talking about? How many of you guys remember the day that you got saved? You got that excitement in you? You wanted to go out and just tell everyone, at least for me, or a few of us here, you guys remember that? Right? She's caught this, and she is just excited. She found Jesus for who he really is and that he truly does change any life that comes to him. And just like me and you, when we find something that's truly good and life-changing, what do we do? 
We'd go out and tell everyone. We'd go out and tell everyone. I mean, I mean, at least for us Christians, we'll go out and tell everyone how we lost the weight or how we got the new pickup or how we got out of debt and all this thing. But let me tell you the one thing that you should be telling people all the time is the day that Jesus came into the scene and changed your life. That's the best day in your life. And so this woman has caught this bug, and she's just really excited. And so she goes out, and this woman, who's now changed with a new chapter to her story, goes to the town, and look at what she does. Verse uh, John 4, 28 through 30 says this. So the woman left her water jar in excitement and went away into the town and said to the people, she said this, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. This guy called me out. He, he knew my horrible past. Can this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So all these people sees this woman who had a bad reputation. These, the town knows her reputation. And supposedly, supposedly this Jewish guy at the well did something. So they went out and to see him. Jump to verse 39 because Jesus' conversation to this woman not only changed the woman, but she was so changed that she went and told the town and the town changed as well. This is the multiplication part. Because it's much more than the conversation between the, Jesus and this woman. Something else is about to happen. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So the Samaritans came to him and they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for a few days. And it says this, verse 41. Check this out. And many more believed because of his word. Believe because of his word. The multiplication in our mission statement is, not, is much more than a physical one. In fact, I would say this, it's more a spiritual one. We multiply the kingdom of God. That's what happens. This is what happens. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. We got what you said and we believed what you said. But now, for we have heard ourselves. We heard it ourselves with our own ears. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What a statement, church. This is the Savior of the world. Church, all of this happened because Jesus went out of his way, and I would even say out of a com his comfort zone as a Jew, and chose to meet the woman at this well. And because he was faithful to what he was supposed to do, of what he had to do, not only did this woman get saved... But the entire town got saved. Don't tell me the entire town of North Platte cannot find Jesus. If it just takes one Samaritan woman for her whole town gets saved, what could we do? That should stir a little fire in you. Because that's the mission. That's what we have to do. Remember, we have a mission as well. Each and every one of us that calls ourselves Christians, we have a mission. And so there are two things that I want to pull from the story that I wrote in my Bible. And I want you to write these down. They're not on. Oh, I think I did get them up there. Yes, thank you. They are up there. And the first one is this. First thing I want to pull out for you to recognize, that I recognize is this. Jesus met me at my well. Jesus met me at my well. Keep it up there just for a little bit. Jesus went out of his way. To meet me in the midst of my ugly sins. Jesus didn't have to, but he had to. He had to. He was relentless in pursuing me. There's a new song out there, and it's a great picture of 
Jesus' pursuit, and there's some weird controversy, and I'm going to tell you just as the pastor of the rock, that it, that's all jargon. It, I believe this is perfect, what Jesus does, pursuing after you. It's this song called Reckless Love. I encourage you to, to listen to it, because this is just a few of the lyrics. This is, is the, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I am found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you meaning Jesus, you give yourself away. That is how passionate Jesus is after you, after me, after those who do not know him. Jesus goes out of his way to pursue those who are far from him, including myself. Scripture says that he's the great shepherd because of the fact that he will leave the 99 sheep that are already found so that he can pursue the one sheep that is lost. I was that sheep. At one point, I was lost. At one point, that one sheep was you. You were the lost sheep, and he left the 99 to go after you. And that one sheep, sadly, is still a majority of North Platte. There are so many people who do not know Jesus. So if he's that passionate about coming after me, and that passionate coming after you, how much more passionate is he to go after the one that is still lost out there? Come on, church. How passionate is Jesus? And I want to I wanna let you know that Jesus has been on this never-ending pursuit, running after you just as he did with this woman because he loves you. He loves you and cares about you and your eternity. It doesn't matter who you are, or what you've done, how ugly your sins are, Jesus will meet you all the time, 100% at your well. He will always be there. And I do not want to be a place where we tell people, we cannot meet you at the well because your well is too ugly. You need to come to our nice, pretty well. It's all doctored up. We only speak a certain language, and you have to dress a certain way. That's not how Jesus works. He always will meet you at the well. And he'll have that conversation with you, that life-changing conversation, if you'll let him. Number two, I want to point this towards us now. If Jesus will meet you at your well, like he did with me, and he says that the things that I have done, you can do greater. The thing, just do what I have done. If Jesus went to the well, then what well do I have to meet at? What well do I have to meet at? Because let me tell you, church, more times than not, it's not this well. It's not this well. What well do you have to meet? Remember, Jesus had a mission, a mission to find us. And once he does, he commissions us exactly what he did in Matthew. The, the getting saved part, yes, that's the best day in our life. But he says, you know what? Don't just take that excitement and hoard it to yourself. Go out to the highways and byways and compel those people to come into relationship with me. That's not me talking. That's scripture. Jesus said that. 
Go out to the highways and byways. He commissions exactly what he did in Matthew. He tells us that we are to go out and to go out and meet people, draw them into relationship with him. And that means there are wells all over our community, church, that we are being called to, that we have to go to. We have to go to. Same context of Jesus had to go to Samaria. There are wells that we have to go to. And I want to kind of purposely step on some toes this morning, including myself, because this means that, yes, we are supposed to be around people who don't know Jesus. Jesus does not call us to be a a holy huddle and keep it to ourselves, no. That, yes, we're supposed to know people who have a horrible reputation in town. We're supposed to know them. That, yes, we're supposed to step outside of our comfort zones in this horrible, I'm not just talking, I'm just talking Christianity in general, but this Christian culture in the Western Hemisphere that we have built, that we're not supposed to step foot in the bad places of town because it might get on us, it might stain us a little bit, and we're too, a little too scared that Jesus says, no, 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 no. If I can go to Samaria, when all my brothers said, don't go there because of our beef with them, that we could reject you. In fact, we could almost kill you because you're going against our culture. Jesus says, I don't care. I have to go through Samaria. And we have to get past this culture of that we can't go to those bad places. I'm not, whatever you think is too bad for you, I'm telling you, Jesus would probably go there if it meant someone was going to get saved. And meet those people at the well, and get this, and get this. Your job then is not to fix. Your job is not to say you need to do step one, two, three, and four right now, or something's going to happen. I don't know what it is. Your job is just to love them, to love them. Loving does not mean accepting their lifestyle. Let me clear that up a little bit. Just because you love someone does not mean you're saying what you're doing is right. You can still love someone. This is the perfect love that Jesus, Jesus loved you anyways. He loved me anyways. That same love we're supposed to share. So you have to ask yourself this question because our mission is to pursue, influence, and multiply. What well are we supposed to do that at? What well? That might be the hospital you work at, the marriage you're in, the school that you attend. It might be that part-time job that you don't like a lot. It might be the bar down the street. It might be the brewery in the south. It might be up at the lake. Those people who don't know Jesus. 
started hanging out. I mean, we didn't do bad things. We just hung out with those people that, that did the bad things. Didn't take part in the bad things. We we're like, hey, man, this is what you've done. This is what you So we did that. The one guy that was known as the atheist of the campus, he played D1 football, got hurt, went to a horrible downward dark spiral of pornography, drugs, and alcohol. And he just did not want nothing to do with anyone. No one messed with him. He was a huge guy, bigger than me, about six, seven. And he just, if you're a Christian, he hated you. He very statement. You know, a lot of times, I'm going to get on the garbage trails here. We'll wrap this up. Um, a lot of times on Facebook, we come across those posts, you know, that says, you know, if you love Jesus and yada, yada, this bad thing about you and all that. A lot of times we get up in arms about that. We try to defend Jesus by, you know, Like, who in the world did they give me this ride home? Like, I don't, like, why would you do that and all that? 
And eventually, she started leading people to Christ. People were wondering, like, why would you, as a Christian, step foot in my messy place? Like, you as a Christian, you're supposed to be holy and stay in your, you know, your you know, cathedral or whatever, and not step foot at my party. What's going on here? And I tell that story because that's the exact same thing that Jesus did. He stepped foot out of what he knew, of his culture, of, I would say, his comfort zone as a Jewish person, and he went to that well. He went to that well. And so I have to ask you this last question, because if you're still breathing, you've still got a purpose. And so if you are here,
front of your mind. There's an older gentleman in this room that he goes to work every single day. And let me tell you, he is beginning to have a great reputation in his workplace. As someone that they can come and talk to this gentleman. And he is only able to have that reputation because of the well that Jesus put him in. It didn't just happen. He's intentional about hearing God's voice and intentional about Father, I pray that after this, we'd go out. And Father, that we wouldn't just be going to a restaurant. In fact, we're, we're going to a well. And there might be someone there that we're supposed to meet. Father, that when we go uh, to graduation parties this week, Father, that we wouldn't just think we're just going to a party. That in fact, we're going to a well and there may be potential for you to move at. That Father, that as we go to our homes and maybe maybe our children or our spouses don't know you, Father, that we're not just going to the same old home with the same old people, but Father, we're going to a place that there is a well and there's potential for your spirit to move. That God, that North Platte, the community of North Platte, that this is an empty well with people who are longing to thirst, to keep drinking the water that, that people are offering, but they're still thirsty. They're still uh, thirsting for something more. And Father, we have that more. We have that something that is Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that this place, the North Platte, God, would just be that well that, that Jesus was talking about that will just stir up inside of us. Father, I thank you for that. And Lord, I, I pray lastly that this would be a catalyst for this church through us. Use us any way that you